Happy New Year. Welcome to the Kinky Cast, a sexually explicit podcast. If you are under 18 years of age, stop the podcast now. This is episode 205 of our weekly exploration in the kinky world of BDSM and alternative relationships. Views expressed are not representative of the management of the kinky cast. We welcome guests with opposing viewpoints. Today, we present Robert Dante, Whipmaster. Here's your hosts, Woody and the Beast. Thanks, Max, and welcome to another edition of the Kinky Cast. Sitting next to me is the Beast. Hey, Woody, that's the only place I'm allowed to sit. Well, it's a good place. Yes, well, we were talking about this earlier. I do get out every now and then, folks, but it's rarely. We let him out of his cage. Yeah, uh, there are uh, there's a whole bunch of legal restrictions involved. So, who do we have tonight, sir? We have a gentleman that I have uh, been quite fond of his work for decades now, and decades. And I understand, Woody, you even had a class with this gentleman uh, almost uh, two decades ago now. Yes, pretty much, 2001. So it goes way back. So we're fortunate to have Robert Dante with us uh, this evening. Whip master. Well, thank you. I've never called myself that. I've only let other people just say that. Well, you see, that way I can say it, and you don't have to. Yep. Your modesty is misplaced, I do believe. Uh, as from, from my perspective, you are the one that delivered the single tail's popularity to the community. Wow. Funny, I didn't know I was doing that at the time. Well, maybe you didn't know it at the time, but certainly your name comes up when uh, single tails are mentioned. Well, I hope it's in a good way. Well, it is, and I have three of them downstairs, and uh, one of them I had with me when I took the lesson. So, and I learned a lot about them from you as to how they're made and why they're made. And last month I was in Australia, and I thought my going to Australia to do the Oz Kink Fest there, me taking bullwhips to Australia, you know, that's taking coals to Newcastle, that's taking ice cubes to Alaska, you know, pointless. But they never seen what I did being done with a bullwhip. That surprised me. That surprised me. Because they got the best whip makers in the world. They do, and they have had for a long time, but it's technique in the end. Yep. Let's back up. What got uh, Robert into kink to begin with? What got me into kink? Yeah. I wasn't gotten into kink. Oh, okay. I was already there when I was... Three, when I was four, when I was six, when I was eight, when I was 12, there was always something a little different from me. When my friends were playing with their G.I. Joe toys and making foxholes for them to dig into, I was building wooden guillotines and taking their heads off. Oh, oh now that sounds like fun. My mother tells me when I was three years old, I took a stool and went out into the middle of an intersection and started directing traffic. Okay, well. And see, you're community service oriented. Yeah, well. <laughs> <laughs> and luck as hell because I'm still here. Somewhere between directing traffic in the intersection and getting very involved with whips, how did that transition happen? Motorcycles, leather, going to an SM workshop, and in my heart and in my mind disagreeing with everything I was hearing, 
then hearing a quiet voice beside me saying, that's full shit. SM, SM, it's all up here. It's intensity. And I looked at him and it was Ken Fontenot. And he took me to meet his five friends who were all, I hesitate to say old guard, but the colonel probably was. And I had the incredible fortune to be able to watch a bullet being used for the first time. And that was in a dungeon. And I was impressed with what I was seeing. This was creating an experience that just got everyone in the room high. And I was hooked. I was hooked immediately. Just for clarification, uh, we hear the term bullwhip, and there's uh, certainly other ones like signal whip and circus whip and those things. Can you uh, uh, lay it out, what the different whips are? Sure. Three different kinds of single-tail whips. Uh, the first type is a snake whip, signal whip, which is flexible all the way into the handle. You can roll it up and stick it in your back pocket. Up from that, shorter handle, rigid, and the thong comes out of it as a natural extension. That's the bull whip. The stock whip is a snake whip on a stick. So you've got, you know, like three feet of advantage of leverage. You do use that one more like you're casting a fishing line with the signal whip, snake whip. It's wristier because your forearm becomes the equivalent of the handle. And with the bull whip, You've got to really dance with it. You can't just stand there and be a wooden soldier. It doesn't come from the arms. It comes from, you know, your solar plexus and out there. And when you get that energy going, was that clear? That was clear. Uh, now give us some lengths that go along with these. Lengths? Well, okay. The most popular whips that I've seen are probably signal whips, three feet, four feet, simply because the space limitations. You can use a shorter whip in more places. Bull whips, usually five feet, six feet, up to eight feet. When you start getting past there, uh, you're just showing off because it's, it's, it's kind of hard. You know, if you're, if you're 12 feet away from your target and you're off by an inch here, that's going to turn into two feet down there. And that could be pretty devastating if there's somebody actually standing in front of you. So I use it for wraps, you know, things that I know are not going to, to cut or to harm someone. I did see you get a rather long one, a circus whip, up in the air once, and it was quite a amazing thing. Oh, it's a trip and a half. Whew. Uh, longest whip I've ever cracked was 40 feet. <laughs> Holy crap. 40 feet. <laughs> 40 feet, yeah. That is a full-body experience. Well, the Guinness record for the longest whip is well over 300 feet. Right now, it's held by a fellow in Australia, Whippy Griggs. He's about 22 now. And the first time he tried to throw that thing, it dislocated his shoulder. He had to go to the hospital. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that weighs more than the thrower. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But some of the best whip people I've seen have been slighter people, smaller, you know, women, men that are under 140 pounds. Because if the technique is correct, the power is there. It's already in the whip. It's simply a matter of physics. It's already there. Of the three tops, uh, which one do you play with the most in your personal play? I like bull whips. And I hear some argue that that is the hardest whip to master. Well, honestly, at this point, I don't know. The same ability to crack any one of the whips can be brought to the bull whip. So if you can crack a snake whip, you can crack a bullwhip. If you can crack a stock whip, you can crack a bullwhip. 
Yeah, sometimes the shorter ones are a little hard to get a crack out of because they don't have the mass. Well, they don't have the mass, but they make up for it. And, uh, you know, they're usually shot loaded, so they've got something in there. And if it's a well-made whip, uh, you don't have to go out and be, you know, like a bodybuilder and see how fast you can make this thing go in order to get a good crack. A well-made whip will roll out. It will crack just about by itself. And the crack is the fall at the end exceeding the sound barrier. Yeah, yeah, Mach 1. Uh, let's back up a little bit. So you're at kink party five or six, and you see your a bullwhip used the first time. And yeah. you said it was artistry. It was incredible. Yeah, he he still gets gets a little a, a little dazed. I think remembering that he's waxing nostalgic <laughs> now. Those were good friends. Those were old times. You know, I I think back with very very good feelings on those times. The fellow Dungeon Trash, he worked for uh, Houston Grand Opera. He kept their sets, and he had a warehouse. So when we played, we were usually playing on the sets of whatever opera was going on. Sometimes we were playing under chandeliers. You know, sometimes we were playing in a forest of Christmas trees. I remember one time we were trying very hard to be big, mean, tough, you know, Leatherman. And it's kind of hard to do that when you're standing underneath a 40-foot Peter Rabbit smiling down at you. That 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 thing just kind of collapsed into laughter, and we all went to get a piece of pie. The ambiance must have been truly incredible at some of those parties. The acoustics were for sure. The acoustics were definitely. Oh yes, those uh, those halls are made for to carry sound and to send it back. So imagine those thunderous cracks were truly uh, <laughs> deafening sometimes. It sounded like a revolver going off. Um, a couple of years back, I was hired by the percussionist for the Minnesota Orchestra to show him how to crack a whip so that he could do sleigh ride instead of banging the sticks together. Yeah. And he could actually crack a whip. And so I was up there trying to show him how to you know, control which way the whip was going so he wasn't going to pull somebody's trombone out of their <laughs> fists. Or, you know, put a hole in the top of the kettle drum. And, and somehow get the timing to work. They've got the best seats up there. The acoustics in that. I did a crack and it was like the purest thing I'd ever heard. Wow. I'm still getting goose pimples when I think about that one. Yeah. You had this group and you picked up and started learning the whip. I, I take it that the whip just, just called to you. Has a toy of choice. Everything in me had been going in that direction. I don't know what it was. All the philosophy, all the poetry, all the music that I've been listening to, suddenly here it was, and it was real. It was not something I was imagining. It was not something I was making up. The power was in the whip, and everything changed. Everything changed. And how did a person go about learning the uh, whip? In those days. Uh, in those was, days? Yeah, that was uh, the, the, the knowledge was not on the Internet. Nope. We, we didn't have the Internet, and I'm sure that there were not a whole lot of even uh, books written on the subject yet. There was nothing, and the people who did know anything were very jealous about their information. They kept it under their hats. They didn't want anybody else to know what they knew. The whip makers, the whip crackers, they were all like that. They were paranoid. Somebody's going to steal from me. Somebody's going to 
do it, you know, and not, not give me credit or, you know, whatever. So I heard as much bullshit as I did good information, but because I was hearing so many different stories conflicting from so many different quarters, I finally gave up and just let the whip itself tell me. I would take what they told me, and then I would take it to the whip and move the whip and see if what they said was true or not, because the whip never lied. The whip was always absolutely honest with me, and it would tell me instantly whether what I was hearing was crap or not. Over time, that's that's why I when I, they invited me to write the chapter on the bullwhip in Screw the Roses, Send Me the Thorns, I jumped at the chance, and it was... For a lot of people, the first time that they had heard of a whip actually being used in a satisfying, mutually satisfying scene. You know, the easiest thing in the world to do is to hurt somebody else, especially with a whip. It's us and them when they both enjoy it. And the whip has such a history in the world of, of, of true torture. Oh, it's the epitome of S&M for all its negative stuff as well as its positive stuff. The difference between pleasurable pain and truly uh, inflicting open wounds is how much of the whip lands on the skin, I guess. No, not really. It's, no? I would say intention has more to do with it because I can take a heavy whip with a cutting popper and just with the technique, you can make it land as softly as a feather. And with something that looks like it's made from shoelaces woven together, you could rip somebody open. So, you know, it's not so simple. When something's going that fast, Mach 1, 1,225 meters a second, you know, I, I did a thing, uh, an art thing with somebody, uh, an artist in um, Portland years ago, and he had a camera from NASA that took like 20,000 pictures a second, okay? Mm-hmm. And... He let me cut a flower and filmed it and played it back. It was a series of still pictures, and you watched the whip coming into the petal. And as the popper went through the petal, it started to smoke, and it was smoking. I didn't know that happened. But what's coming out of the end of that whip is not just the percussion of the thing. It is energy itself. It comes out as heat. It comes out as you know, sound, all, all that stuff together. That's something I would have never thought about. It's amazing, yeah. When I think about it, yes, I can see the physics that there's energy imparted and it's fast enough to cause water to vaporize, but yep. it's not something I would intuitively came up with. As we were talking about the big whips, the energy, is the weight of the whip factor and how much energy is delivered on the other end? Oh, yeah, the force that comes out is uh, mass times distance times speed. The distance is not just the length of the whip. It's how far are you letting the whip travel before it hits. If I'm just cracking in front of me, in front of me, in front of me, that's going to give, you know, a 50% impact. If I take the whip and let it go through from behind me to the forward, I've just increased the distance it's traveling so it's got that much more opportunity to pick up some devastating energy. The speed is a constant, but mass is also important. Force, mass times distance times speed. As the whip rolls, it tapers. 
in order to keep that equation equal, because the mass is getting smaller as it tapers, the whip starts to speed up. That's why it can get to the point that it's breaking the sound barrier. That's why you can't crack a rope. True, because it's constant. Yeah, so there's a lot of physics in this. Oh, yeah. But as somebody once told me, you know, don't worry about, you know, I, I was studying music. And he said, don't worry about music theory. The music came first. The theory came afterwards. <laughs> so the whip came first and the theory came after. Yep. Yep. So you wrote uh, the chapter in Screw the Roses. And interesting enough, we got Molly uh, coming to us as a guest in the near future. Really? Do you know she just moved up here? She's only about an hour away from me. Wow. Yeah, we got together, uh, oh, God, uh, two weeks ago and touched base, and we're both blown away. What the hell are we both doing in the middle of America here in Minnesota? You know, and I'm wonderful. She, she, she wants to do a second edition, so she's looking at getting some new pictures, so I'll probably rewrite that chapter as well. Oh, wow. So we'll be hearing, hearing from her soon, I hope. Uh, next oh, week? Yeah. Oh, next yeah. week, yeah. You write the chapter. Was that some of the first written text for the uh, whip in the kink realm? That I saw, yeah. And it scared me uh, because I really wanted to make sure that I wasn't putting some incorrect information out there. Because it was one of the first and one of the only, I was worried about people taking my mistakes and turning it into gospel. How do you feel like the end result came? These days? Yeah, because you turned a lot of people on to the to the single tail in that book. Well, as I like to say, I am teaching the teachers. These are the folks who are passing it on to the folks who are coming tomorrow. And all I'm doing is passing on what was given to me by all the people who came before even them. So that's a Zen way of viewing it. Well, that's whip cracking. It's in the present tense. There is no future. There is no past. There's only the crack itself by God. And if you're not there, it will let you know. You know the word samurai? Do you know what the word samurai means? Wave men. They had whips as well as swords. True story. So that goes back millennia. Oh, hell, it goes back 65 million years. There were dinosaurs back then, apatosauruses, that would flip their tails and crack them like whips. And people... We're wondering why the hell would an animal do this? One, it's to mark its territory. If you can hear this, you're too close. Two, it's a macho thing. My crack's bigger than yours, and that's still going on. And three, it's a mating call, and that's still going on too. There's some videos on YouTube where some engineers at MIT actually duplicated the tail the 45-foot tail of one of these creatures in order to see if it did it. And yes, yes, the tail cracked. I'm trying to envision the amount of energy involved and that the tip of the tail just didn't go just flying through the air. No kidding. There's sharks. There's a bullwhip shark. You know, it flips its tail to stun, you know, the fish that it was going to eat. So it's everywhere. I am so immersed in this experience that I see the whip in everything, in the fluttering of a flag, in the spiral galaxy, in pictures from space of hurricanes. It's a spiral of energy. You have practiced this for many years now. 
many years. Yeah. And uh, so it's a constantly learning experience. Somebody gets their first single tail and they pick it up and they try to play with it instantly. And we know that's got going to go well for anybody. <laughs> I've, I have the bruises from a single tail. You know, the, the learning experience is you, you yeah. beat yourself more than anything else the first couple of days. Unfortunately, probably true. Yeah. As you wrap yourself? Well, yeah. <laughs> Even all these years later, every so often, yes, you will. I, I, I still whack myself. Is the whip a, a harder-to-learn toy or about the same in your experience than most of our kink devices? Well, it's a contradiction. It's simplicity itself. There's only one moving part. Most of the people I know who are into kink are more intelligent than the average bears. So they have difficulty with this simply because it's so simple. The hard part is trying to get them to not think. Five-year-old kids are easier to teach wit-cracking to than, you know, a 40-year-old PhD who's understanding it all, but, oh. Learning the whip is, is very much about just letting it flow and not trying to overthink the process at all. That's your first and greatest of advice for uh, for people learning this uh, this uh, new device. Well, actually, the very, very, very first thing I would suggest people do is get some eye protection. Good advice. A cowboy hat. A cowboy the, hat. A cowboy hat. The brim will protect your nose and it will protect your ears. And if you happen to be out in the park cracking your whip, if you're wearing a cowboy hat, people will just look and go, Oh, okay, cowboy with a whip, right. But if you're out there with your leathers on and you're cracking a whip, the police are going to come. <laughs> it is it is amazing what what a small difference. It's all in the optics. Yeah. 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 No, the skills the skills in the vanilla world, the stuff that I use in circuses and burlesque shows is the same ability and same skill that I take into the dungeon. It's just the application that's different. Let's talk about the dungeon for a second. You often okay. have limited space, uh, especially if there's a bunch of people in a dungeon playing. And so that limits what you can do with a whip. True. When I walk in, the first thing I look for are, you know, the are there ceiling fans? Are there fire sprinklers in the ceiling? Is there stuff, you know, whatever it is? Because if it can fuck up, it will. The whip will find it. So you have wrapped a few uh, sprinkler heads in your day. Yes. I have not yanked them out. Thankfully. That's the most important thing. Don't pull hard. Otherwise, you know, the party's over. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, it is the wrong kind of, of water sports for sure. Oh, man. And definitely non-consensual. Yeah. And wet leather is not good leather. No. No. That's why nylon whips are so popular. Speaking of nylon whips, what is your thought between leather and nylon? These days, there are really good nylon whip makers. I would put them up there with the quality that's coming out of the whip makers who are using kangaroo or cow leather or whatever. The only difference is that the material itself is soft and porous. So you're going to need to go a little faster and a little harder 
to get the same effect that you would with a leather whip where it would just roll with the little bit of energy it gives on you. As the energy wave moves down a nylon whip, it starts to fall asleep. So you wind up consciously or unconsciously going a little harder in order to get to that point. Once you've accommodated that specific difference, there's really not a whole lot of difference between the whips. My nylon whip uh, came out of the East Bay from a very good maker there, ah. uh, and it, it throws very well. Oh, yeah. And and uh, it, it's a little different than the, the leather. The leather has uh, several um, strands in it that are uh, make it somewhat rectangular, and it, and it has one way that it really wants to roll out, yeah. whereas the nylon is more – you can twist it around and – yeah, you're more likely to find the natural curve of the whip, the belly of the whip in the leather ones. They're a little harder to find. It's there in the nylon whips. It's just a lot more subtle. That I have noticed. You are still, still teaching, thankfully. Yeah, I'm having a blast. You are teaching a new generation, and you're also writing. What do you have out there that you would uh, recommend to a budding whip user that isn't able to get to one of your classes right away. Oh, well, of course. Buy my book. <laughs> so we're letting you hawk your book here. Go on to Amazon and get Let's Get Cracking, the how-to book of bullwhip skills. If you go to bullwhip.xxx, you will also see the video that I made in Toronto, God, like 25 years ago. That was called Bullwhip, the Art of the Single Tail Whip. And it was the first video that I had ever seen that dealt with using a bullwhip in a dungeon, in a scene. And there's nothing in that video that I would disagree with now. I just think that I've come up with better ways to communicate it so that it's clearer, quicker. Practice makes, makes perfect. Yeah, go, get on FetLife, get to the groups, see what the conversations are all about. Go to the websites, definitely bookmark bullwhip.xxx, because if it's got anything to do with whips, I'm there. You're there. And all those links will be on the show page, so uh, anybody that uh, forgot any of these, just go over there and click on it and go right to it. Oh, fabulous. Thank you. What's in the future? Well, more surgery. I've had five operations on my shoulders and elbows. Are they occupational? Well, that's the weird part. The doctor says because I was cracking a whip, I got sidelined later than I would have if I hadn't been doing it. I've got a problem with my endocrine system where my joints don't have enough fluid in them. So I wind up with something called frozen shoulder, you know, that kind of thing. It sounds annoying and painful. Ah, uh, very. And it's the kind of pain that don't go away. Got good surgeons here, definitely on my side so and i'm pretty pretty open about what i do and they're pleased as hell being able to keep track knowing you know that they're if they're helping me to get that i have also promised myself i'm going to write the book about the games that you can play with bull whips the records the equipment the contests all that i want to write the book that people can turn to to keep this fun so that they can enjoy what they're doing. So they can get together with other people and share the experience. 
Have you seen a decline in the interest in the single tail over the years? I have noticed that I see fewer single tails in the dungeon today than I did, say, 15 years ago. Um, no. Good. No, I'm seeing single tails being used. I'm seeing a much higher level of play, even with floggers or, you know, with canes. The information is now out there. People don't have to dig as hard. God bless the Internet. It has uh, brought us two together and I think has promoted uh, greater safety and awareness. Absolutely. Absolutely. And accountability. We have that coming up, too, don't we, Woody? Uh, we do. Personal accountability is coming up soon. Robert, it's been great yeah. talking with you. Oh, my pleasure. Are we over? Well, we're going to wind it up here. Okay. Well, that was fun. Thank you. Thank you so much. We try to make it painless. Pleasure shared is twice the pleasure. You know, so I'm always happy to talk about whips with people. We thank you for your time. And, uh, you know, you are a legend in the whip business in the kink world. I started off as a rumor. Really? I developed into a living legend. <laughs> and I am aspiring to become a myth. Okay. Well, uh, uh, a myth. Uh, can you still be living and be a myth? Yeah, that, that's the problem. I don't know. There, there are days I wake up and look at myself in the mirror and go, oh, my God, I'm Robert Dante. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> okay. Have a good evening, Robert. Thank, Thank you, you so much. so much. You have been listening to episode 205 of the Kinky Cast. For more information about this show, go to kinkycast.com. The Kinky Cast is a production of Rooster in the Round. On behalf of all our Kinky crew, I'm Max. See you next week, when we present, Guy, Debronsville's keynote speech at Self 2017.